This is the truth. When we follow after God, life just doesn't make much sense. It's simply not true that we have hope for life beyond this life. The choices we make now matter for eternity. That abundant life is found in following Jesus. That we were created to live in relationship to God. But before anything, you must know that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. Many people I know have this philosophy. Believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that we can truly discover our destinies if we follow after God. Whether you believe it or not, this is the truth. You should know that I believe exactly the opposite. This is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, if we follow after God, we can truly discover our destinies. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. Many people I know have this philosophy that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. But before anything, you must know that we were created to live in relationship to God, that abundant life is found in following Jesus, that choices we make now matter for eternity. We have hope for life beyond this life. It's simply not true that life just doesn't make much sense when we follow after God. This is the truth. All right, admit it. When you were watching the first part of that video a couple of weeks ago for the first time and you didn't know what was coming, you thought, wow, Pastor Jeff is really changing things around here. Pastor Dustin used to preach what's on the second half of that video. Well, Pastor Jeff hasn't changed things that much, and I don't plan to. Um, I love that video because I think it really clearly displays for us the attitudes that we can get from living in our culture and the difference, the upside-down uh, life, or for some of you, the right-side-up life of living with Jesus. So I'm going to dive right into our text this morning, uh, Matthew 16, 24 to 28. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to read with me. Also, you'll want to grab your sermon notes for today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Pick that up before I slide across the stage. All right. Our, our message today is Upside Down Living, Find Life by Losing It. There it is in the title of your notes. 
And I want to give you something else maybe you'll want to write down because this is also kind of a little bit of what I hope you'll grab hold of and take home with you today. What we pursue in life determines what our priorities are. I'll say it again in case someone's writing. What we pursue in life will always determine what our priorities are. Jesus says so. All the way back in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what we treasure, what we pursue in life is going to determine what we value. And I want you to see, starting out, that you're not living in a neutral zone here in this world. There is such a thing, and I mentioned the word already, called culture. Capital C, culture. And it differs around the world, but here in America, we have a very strong culture of the pursuit of certain things. In fact, so much so that it's been studied. What do Americans pursue? What do they treasure? What sets the priorities of their lives? And I found a great quote from a Harvard researcher that we'll put up, and you can read what he thinks in his research. Americans tend, with God or without God, to pursue. Few of us have thoughtfully considered the mainstream, mainstream conception of success before we have pursued it. We may be thoughtful about selecting a job or career by thinking about what we're good at or the paths of those we admire, but over time that job may dominate other meaningful parts of our lives. We all can relate to the struggles of work-life balance. Or we may lose sight of what makes that career purposeful in the first place. And this is the part I really want us to think about. Our default, which means our setting from the start. That's what default means. Is where we're set from the start as a culture. Then is often to chase material progress without truly asking why. Now, I don't know what you think of Harvard Business School, but I think many of those guys are pretty good researchers. They spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's going on in our culture. Our default, then, is to chase material progress without truly asking why. That's amazing to think about that. In other words, when we're dropped into life, it's assumed this Harvard researcher says, that you're going, to, you're going to pursue material stuff. That's just what we do, we Americans. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give you some other things that I think all fit in that bucket of material success in a little bit, so wait for that. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is that really the way, pursuing material progress, to flourish and thrive in life? And, and that's the first question. How do we truly thrive and flourish in life? It's the question I think most of us at some point are asking and may continue to ask. So what really is thriving and flourishing? What does a healthy life look like? What does an abundant life 
really look like? And Jesus gives us the answer to that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus actually wants you to have an abundant, thriving, and flourishing life? Not just in heaven, but as, as we've talked about before, for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus, when does heaven get going? It's actually already going for us. And yes, we still have to pass through death to enjoy it in all its fullness and glory. But the abundance and the flourishing and the thriving of eternal life is already ours through faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that look like here in a fallen world? Because we're still living in a fallen world. For fallen people who are sinful... And how can we enjoy the thriving and the flourishing the way Jesus describes it, mind you? Not the way our American culture describes it. How can we begin to experience that right now? What does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about uh, this, is, uh, this morning. And, and do you know that God is so interested in this that it's a theme throughout the whole Bible? Maybe some of you have memorized a Bible passage, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is actually, it's six verses, and if you're like in fourth or fifth grade, you're like, I got to memorize six verses in a Christian school. But look at the beauty of Psalm 1 and how it talks about the abundant, flourishing, thriving, healthy life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now look at where this person lands themselves. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, abundance, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now what about scarcity? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. They're dried up seed shells that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. My point in just bringing that up, and I could bring so many other verses up, is to say in some of the most well-known passages of the Scripture, God is talking to us about living life and what an abundant life really looks like and what it means. And do you see what someone says? It says, like Jesus says, about Mary and Martha. Remember Martha scurrying about the kitchen, making a meal? And Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha getting pretty upset about this. Like, why isn't my sister helping me? Been there? Yeah, I have. Say that about Dustin all the time. Why isn't he helping me? No, I'm, I don't say that about you ever. But I, we've been there, right? And so it, it's one of those things that you naturally gravitate toward, and the motive was probably even very good. She wanted to be hospitable, but she missed the mark. How did she miss the mark? What does Jesus say? 
Martha, there's just one thing needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. To sit at my feet, in other words, and hear my word. That's what Psalm 1 says. You want an abundant life, it starts by reading and putting into practice what you find here in God's promises, apprehending those promises and saying, I'm going to own that promise and it's going to belong to me. And by living in, in the line of God's wisdom, just here. Now, let's look at what Jesus says in what we're looking at today, because the theme comes back, this major theme of the Bible, of an abundant life. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you see? I, I want you to, if you've got your pen out, I want you to underline some things. I want you to underline deny themselves. And then I want you to put a little number one in front of deny themselves. Then I want you to underline take up their cross, and I want you to put number two by that. And then I want you to underline follow me and put the number three by that. You know what Jesus is giving us today? the secret to an abundant life. And he says it's three steps. Now, here at Amazing Love, we're not normally big step guys, like follow these steps, you know, God will give you an abundant life. But if you understand, which I'll explain in just a moment, what an abundant life is, God is, Jesus is giving us the way forward, how to do it. And I want you to look at it. Deny yourself, meaning put others, put especially God, before yourself. In other words, again, stop yourself every time you catch yourself asking, but what about me? When you find yourself thinking, I, I don't know why, but I'm always putting myself at the center of the universe. Like, move out of that position of being the center of the universe in which you live. Do you know who to give that position to? You do, right? Jesus? So deny yourself. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Take up your cross, which means, <laughs> another way of saying that is embrace hardship. Embrace suffering. When Jesus took up his cross, he was so burdened and beaten, he couldn't even carry it very far. He had to have help carrying it, which, by the way, we're going to need help carrying our crosses too. It's why we have this fellowship of believers and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We need Jesus' help carrying our cross. But nevertheless, in an American culture that says abundance means avoid pain, avoid suffering, in an American culture that's, that says what abundance is, is like smooth flow. Things are just going along nicely. And have you ever noticed your own reaction when even small little obstacles come in your way during the day? 
and things aren't going exactly the way that you had planned them to, I won't talk about you. I'll just talk about me. I get annoyed. I get upset. I get impatient when things aren't just going smoothly the way that I thought they should. And if you're anything like me whatsoever, maybe many of you are far more chill than I am. Good for you. Hopefully you're chill in Christ. And and if you are, good stuff. Embrace hardship and suffering. That's not a very American thing to say. And then follow Jesus. Step where he steps. Go where he goes. Believe what he believes. You know the original disciples? They followed Jesus 24-7 for three years. They, they didn't even hardly go out to the outhouse without Jesus knowing where they were going. Have you ever thought about that? Like when they went to sleep at night, Jesus was sleeping over there, probably not even under a roof because foxes have holes, right? But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's how tight and close they, they were. So now I want to illustrate this for you. I lived in Africa for a number of years. Most of you know that, unless you're new here. 14 years in Zambia and Central Africa. And one of the, the big treats of living in Africa is monkeys. You get to see them frolic and play. And sometimes if you're seated at a beautiful, nice resort, eating breakfast out on the patio, enjoying the sunrise, and, and having your eggs and your bacon and your, your breakfast roll, you can watch a monkey fly across the table, and as he flies across the table, grab your piece of bread and steal it from you. You're like, wow, that was quick. And so in Africa, we, you have to have ways to trap monkeys. Have you ever heard about how to trap a monkey? It's brilliant. You have to know the behavior of monkeys. Can you put that picture up? This is how you trap a monkey. Have you heard this before? Some of you probably have. What you do is you put a banana down in there, or a bread roll, your breakfast roll. You put it down in there, and the monkey smells it and sees it and puts his hand in there. But do you notice the diameter of the hole? It's the perfect diameter to reach down in there like this. But once you do that... Guess what happens? And this, by the way, this little bucket or pot is chained to something solid. Down below, which you can't see, there's a chain. Maybe wrapped around a tree in a village. The monkey puts his hand in there, grabs hold of the banana, and then goes like this. And why is he trapped? RJ? Correct. Unless he does what, RJ? Well, yeah, but it's chained, brother. He has to let go. He has to, in Jesus' words, deny himself. Hmm. So now let me tell you about our bananas. Bananas. 
in American culture, all right? I call them the five Ps. Uh, our, our bananas are the pursuit, these are the things that we pursue, the pursuit of power. We like to think that we have the power to make our own decisions at the most minimal level, but in a, at a bigger level, we pursue power in our place of business, in our home, maybe through politics. However you do it, you pursue power so you can feel, what's that feeling you want? Control. And when you don't feel in control, you feel like you have no power, and that's scary. Power, number one. I'm not going to dwell on any one of these too long. Number two is position. You want to climb the ladder. Because if you're higher on the ladder than the other people who are also on the ladder, guess what? You're looking down on them, and that feels better. It feels safer. You're not going to get kicked in the teeth if you're in the top of the ladder. All right? You're, you're, you might have people trying to play king of the hill, and pull you off, but as long as you've got good position on the ladder, you'll be okay. That's what we think. The next is possessions. Jesus says, back in Matthew 6, life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, and yet, who do we love possessions? Do you know that in America, the storage unit square footage, because we can't, we're like that monkey, we can't let go of our possessions, and so we outgrow how many possessions we can even hold in our 2,000 to 3,000 foot house, and so we get storage units, so we can hold on to our possessions because we feel that we are what we possess. Number four, prestige. We want to be honored. We want to have a good reputation. Don't you hate it? One of the growth group questions for this week is, relate one of your most embarrassing moments. I can't wait for Tuesday night for our growth group. For us to tell the stories of our most embarrassing moments. Bill, I want you to prepare for that and be ready for that. Why don't we love to tell the stories of our most embarrassing moments? Because it feels like we're losing a little bit of our reputation and our prestige when we do that. Right? And that's something we want to grab hold of. Here's the last one. This is a more recent one. I, I actually added this one. And it was mentioned in our confession of sins. The fifth P is playtime or play things. I feel like Americans love to pursue time off. You see this in, the, in uh, all the Instagram posts of people traveling around the world to get their playtime and be on the beach. A lot of times you post on Facebook, not, hey, here I am at my cubicle working. No, it's here I am on vacation and this is amazing. And look at my kids over there playing and having a great time. Because that's what we feel gives life value. So I want you to think about those as the five bananas of our culture. 
And we've got our hand down in that jar, grabbing hold of it. And, and, the, and the question obviously becomes, how do we let go of such things? Embrace hardship, remember the three steps of Jesus, and then make following Jesus the number one thing in our life. How do you even do that? So write this down. Here's your, uh, your pathway I gave you already. Letting go, embracing hardship. I sound like a Stoic philosopher. Embracing hardship, but this is what Jesus is saying. Take up your cross, and following Jesus is the only way, Jesus says. Not just a way, it's the only way to truly thrive and flourish in life. You've heard the saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Here's how I like to reword that. What doesn't kill you in Christ makes you stronger in your soul. What doesn't kill you doesn't always make you stronger in your body. If you've been through a serious injury, you know that sometimes you go through the rest of your life with those injuries. But what doesn't kill you when you are in Christ, experiencing His love, His forgiveness, His presence, His power in Christ, makes you stronger in your soul? So how do we let go and embrace that, embrace hardship? That's the question. And I want to take you back and give you some context to what we're studying today, where Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it, because it's an interesting set of circumstances, this context. Jesus is transitioning. So in his ministry, just so you know, uh, you can kind of characterize Jesus' ministry uh, in this way. It's not the only way to characterize it, but a very simple way to characterize Jesus' ministry is in two parts. The first part of his three years of ministry was, is he really the Messiah? Who is he? Okay? And then right here, as we're talking now, Jesus is making that transition to the second part, and, and he's no longer so much about who is he? Is he the Messiah? He's moved on now in the second part of his ministry to how is he the Messiah? How's he going to handle that? How is he going to be the Messiah? And why is that? Because many people thought that the Messiah was going to be a power guy. If you're pursuing power, remember the first of the five Ps, and you're a disciple, you're thinking Jesus is going to help us get power. Well, and position, because one of the debates of the disciples was, can we sit at your right and left hand? So they're thinking Jesus is the way to these five bananas. So Jesus has to explain to them, um, let me tell you how I'm going to be Messiah. Because it's a little different from what you're thinking. And so that's when we go on, and I, I'm going to set this up. Um, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say the Son of Man is? Let's take a look. When Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So you see, he's trying to answer, who am I, right? 
But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, brilliant, 100% on the quiz. This is beautiful. He, he nails it straight on. I don't care who everybody else says you are. You are the Savior. You are the promised Messiah, the son of the living God. Brilliant. Now, this is what's amusing. Kind of. What comes after this? Remember, Peter's just aced the test, right? He's feeling pretty good. Do you know what comes next? Like within a few verses next? In the same chapter next? Well, let's take a look at that. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. Notice what he's answering now? Not who he is, but how he's going to handle his Messiahship. Through suffering. Through denying himself. The chief priests and the teachers of law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. There's only victory through suffering. The next one. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall, this shall never happen to you. All right, Peter's going to get an F on this quiz. All right? Because Jesus is going to say, brother, do you know what you're really looking at when you say that? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, that sounds pretty harsh, but I want you to remember, when was the other time very prominent in the Gospels when it actually was the devil saying to Jesus, you want power? You want prestige? You want position? I got shortcuts for you. Just worship me. So when Peter comes with the same argument, don't suffer for what you're going to do. There's a better way. Jesus says, that ain't really you talking, is it, Peter? Because I've heard this one before. You know, the devil's temptations are hardly ever new. He just keeps repeating them because he's pretty successful at repeating them. Not with Jesus. This is what he says to Peter. You are a stumbling block to me. And this is key. That's why I highlighted it. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Just look at that for a minute. Because right there, Jesus is telling Peter what true thriving is, what true abundance is. It is being about the concerns of God, not merely human concerns. We want to be comfortable because we're human. God says, accept the challenge, take up the cross. And, and it is not something that we naturally gravitate toward. But it's interesting because, remember I said this is a theme in the whole Bible. One of the ways it's a theme is through one word. The word shalom in Hebrew. Which we translate many times as peace, but it also means abundance. It means thriving, 
it means even integrity. That, that what you say is what you do, and what you do is what you say you're going to do. All of that is wrapped up in this one single word, shalom. And God, throughout the Old Testament, is using this word to say, pursue shalom, pursue shalom in me. So what do we need to value? Remember what I said, what we pursue in life determines what we prioritize. Remember I said that at the outset? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their... Can you fill it in for me? It's right up there. Yet forfeit their... Thank you for helping me. Get the whole world and lose your soul. Is that a good trade, Jesus is asking? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't give your soul away for anything. It's not going to be a good trade. So, number one, if you're going to pursue what you value, if you're going to pursue what you really want in life, Jesus is saying, want your soul above all things. And prioritize your life to make sure your soul is strong and healthy. Here's your fill-in. We let go. You, you can take your hand out of the banana jar by simply saying, you know, what I value most of all is not in this jar. It's in my heart. It's in me. It's my soul. And so my pursuits need to be about my soul. Then Jesus says this next. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What I, what I love about this is here's the second part of the answer to how you get your hand out of the banana jar. All right? And I want you to remember that if we don't get out of the banana jar, here's what's going to happen. Not abundance, but dark and empty places. Look at this quote. I want, you to, I want you to see this. Valuing knowledge or wealth or any of the five Ps, it could be anything above all else, results in a lust for power, and that leads men into dark and empty places. In some ways, everything is a lust for power. It's a lust for control, because we feel safest when we feel we're in control. Jesus says, let me be in control. Let me be your power, and your prestige, and your possession. Let me be your purpose. Let me be your peace. And that's why he says, I've got some promises for you. You know at the end of all of this is going to come eternity? You know that. That this is all only temporary, but I'm going to come back and you will enter into eternity where you'll experience the rewards that I have for you. Amazing rewards, by the way. Rewards of grace. Tremendous rewards of a life in heaven. Then he says, let me tell you about another kingdom. 
the kingdom of my spirit. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's not the eternal kingdom in that sentence. It's the kingdom of his spiritual power, which first got experienced on the day of Pentecost. You're going to see the spirit going to work and spreading my kingdom. And what that means is, as long as we reside in God's promises, well, look at this. Nothing you face can keep you from God's promise. Go through life with God's promises, promises like these two. I'm coming back, we're going to take you to heaven. Promises like, I'm coming back in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to do a job serving our purpose in life, which is to share me and my gospel message with others. Here's what I want you to write down. We let go and embrace hardship by trusting God's promises. That's the second part of the answer. Decide what you value. Trust God's promises. And you can let go of the five big bananas of our culture, especially this promise to rule in our hearts by faith. That brings peace, purpose, different kinds of peace. Because we're residing in the promises of God. So here's your next step for today. I'm really going to let you go at some point. By the Spirit's power, I will decide what my true values are, which is going to maybe require some reordering of values, possibly. Some repentance, some changing direction. I will decide what my true values are and live aligned with those values. Because what we pursue in life will always determine what we prioritize. Let's um, share with each other our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.